Hello, I'm Steve, the retired criminal investigator with the Office of Special Investigations, the Air Force's federal law enforcement agency. I'm Hannah, his daughter, the amateur true crime enthusiast. I have always been fascinated with my dad's job, and I love starting conversations with him to learn more. Join us each week as we share these conversations with you and discuss a real criminal case that piques our interest. Hello, welcome back, True Crime Archives listeners. Mm -hmm. Welcome Welcome back back after a little bit of a break. Yes. We are back now. Mm -hmm. Today, we are kind of taking a small look back, like briefly, but this kind of has something to do with Arliss Perry. Remember when we talked about her? Yeah. This is funny. That's, we've done two now that... Had something oh, had like connected, yeah, yeah, yeah. to Arliss Perry, and totally that? not on purpose too. Yeah. And, and remember the whole um, Son of Sam thing, right? That's that's where I heard of Arliss yeah. Perry, and that's why I chose her yeah. because I watched the Son of Th- Sam and documentary. Then, and then, and now this one is tied to Arliss Perry too. Yes, because the two murders we're talking about today actually mm. took place. At Stanford University mm-hmm. on Stanford property. One of them right. was Stanford student and the other, her father worked there. Um, and within like months of the Arliss Perry yeah. murder. So it's a little, little interesting. And we were talking about maybe doing a look back episode or like a revisiting episode on Arliss Perry because I actually got some more information. Or we'll I'll just give it here. Briefly. Yeah, right? we can briefly. I have it at the end. So I didn't yeah. know how we wanted to do that. Specifically, though, I'm going to give you a little bit of backstory on the, um, I'm going to do spoiler, the murderer, the serial killer we're talking about, so you kind of understand the history before we jump in to the two women we're talking about. So John Getru is the technically serial killer we're talking about. He, I'm going to give you a little rundown because he's got quite a bit of a rap sheet. So he started his crimes in june of 1963 his dad was actually a sergeant for the army and they were stationed in germany so he was a army brat stationed in germany and he raped and murdered a 15 year old margaret williams in west germany now he was tried as a juvenile in german court sentenced to 10 years and he was released in 1969 after only serving six years and immediately sent back to the United States, literally within 24 hours of getting out. Wow. Yeah. So 1969, he is six suspected in the murder of 19-year-old Sharon Luchis. I really hope I pronounced that correctly. Not really a whole lot of other information on that other than he's suspected in that. So I'm assuming they're working on that one. 1973, uh, he sexually assaulted and murdered 21-year-old Leslie Perloff, which is one of the women that we're going to be talking about today. 1974, he murdered 21-year-old Janet Taylor, who we also will be talking about today. And then 1975, he actually took a guilty plea for statutory rape of a 17-year-old girl scout in Palo Alto. He paid a $200 fine, and he was sentenced to six months in jail with five months suspended. Not sure what that means, though. It means he did a month, so six months in jail? or Six, six months in jail, five months suspended. Yeah, so he did a month in jail, and they let him out, and they said, if you screw up... It's like parole. Yeah, right, if you screw up in the next five months, you go back to jail and finish your five months. Ah, okay. 
like I said, though, we're talking about Leslie Perlov and Janet Taylor. I mentioned that both of those murders happened before 1975. He obviously, at this time of in 1975, had not been found out to be the murderer of Leslie and Janet. So those are just in order of when his crimes occurred. Okay. Uh, also, he is connected to Stanford because he actually worked at Stanford, much like Stephen Crawford, who murdered Arliss Perry. They both were uh, employees of Stanford University. So he, uh, Getru, worked as a hospital medical technician. So that is a little history of his crimes. He's got quite right. a bit, quite a rap sheet, right? So What's his name again? John Getru. John G- Getru. Getru, okay. Getru, Getru. yeah. All right. The first girl we're going to talk about is Leslie Marie Perlov. Mm-hmm. She was 21 years old, like I mentioned, in 1973. She had graduated from Stanford and had actually been accepted to a law school in uh, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. She's described as s- just a bright student. She was really, really smart. She finished high school in three years and she finished college in three years, which is pretty cool. Uh, and her family had all gone to Stanford also, so it was kind of a family tradition. She was had always been interested in justice and helping people is also how she was described. She was last seen in Palo Alto, California on February 13th, 1973, leaving her job in Santa Clara County's law library. So that's pretty cool. She was working in a law library, yeah. getting ready to go to law school. Mm-hmm. Um, so she was leaving her job around 3 p.m. She stopped for a walk close to, her, to the campus um, at Stanford. She I saw a couple things that said she was into photography, so she was like stopping to take mm-hmm. pictures. But uh, she was driving an orange 1972 Chevrolet Bova. Her car was found on February 13th, parked at the gate to an old quarry in Los Altos Hills, right off of an exit from I-280, which was like five miles from her mm-hmm. work. So remember, she goes missing after she leaves work. And then a few days later, her car is found. Okay. Or the same night. Sorry. The same night her car is found. Three days later is when her body is actually found under an oak tree west of where her car was, which is on Stanford property. So I'm assuming the school is pretty big. So she was working at Stanford. No, she worked like five miles from Stanford. Oh. But she was going to take a walk on like a close property of stanford okay like the it was uh, owned yeah. it was the, the land stanford land is how they described okay. it all right but i guess there was just like this really pretty uh-huh. what did i say it was a, like a hills area just like really pretty scenic route i guess she liked to take walks over there it was also noted that she was carrying a purse and the purse was never was not found so it was not in her car it was not with her body when she was found so that is missing all right so that's something robbery yes the autopsy reveals the cause of death to be ligature strangulation um and it looked like it was she was strangled with her own scarf Mm -hmm. and witness testimony says that there was a blonde man near her car before she was reported missing but other than that there's not much else they are able to take uh, DNA from her uh, fingernails because okay. she, oh, she scratched them. Ah, there yes. you go. Scratch. Help she, us solve the crime. Yeah, she fought hard. She fought back pretty, pretty hard. And they 
it was noted that like the way they took the evidence, the way they bagged it and the way they preserved it mm-hmm. is ultimately what is going to not too much of a spoiler. Yeah. Solve this case recently. Mm-hmm. She has no funeral. Her mom throws away a, like everything. It was really hard for her mom and it goes unsolved for 45 years. So it's a cold case, right? And, and th- but they have DNA. Yes. Did they have the lig- the thing that caused the ligature marks, the strangle, the the um uh, what'd you say? It was a scarf. Scarf. Did they have the scarf? I think they kept it yeah, okay. in DNA or DNA <laughs> evidence. Okay. Yeah, so really all they have is uh her fingernails that they you know, fingernail clippings. So they collected DNA from They said there was DNA under all 10 of her yeah, fingernails. Yeah, they they probably scraped for it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and they, this is when? This is what year? 1973. That's pretty good. They scraped the fingernails. Yeah, they, that's pretty good. They collected all that. Okay. It was, they specifically, they said the way they preserved it is what mm-hmm. really. Okay. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot. All right. So that's unsolved now. Cold case. Cold case. It's going to be a cold case for 45 years. So there's no information that the police looked into it in between that 45 years or anything, or they just there was no leads, there was nothing. They 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 had nothing. Right. Now, so what did I say this was? This was July of 2018. Okay. Mm-hmm. So they have the DNA from her fingernails. It's unknown male DNA is what they have. So I'm assuming they did that original test and they figured out that it was a male DNA. Right. And they probably did a CODIS check and all that kind of stuff. You can assume that they've done all that. Yes. They sent. Yes. They sent this evidence to Parabon Nano Labs. Well, why? In 2018. Yes. Now, they were expecting it to come back to be a match for Stephen Crawford because this is at literally the same time, the same month that they're sending the DNA to Stephen Crawford. I think that DNA came back like literally just a couple weeks before hers. So this really prompted the Stephen Crawford thing really prompted them to check this DNA because they figured it would come back to match Stephen Crawford. And he's the guy. He killed Arliss Perry. That they have is killing Arliss Perry. Correct. Yes. And if you remember, they, had a warrant that they were serving when he shot himself. That's right. Yes. Oh, good point. In 2018. If you're interested in that, go back in our archives here and look for the Arliss Perry episode. I'll tell you what it, what it was here in a minute, what it was, what the title was, Mm -hmm. but, but go ahead. They're really thinking, you know, obviously they have to cover their bases. They can't just go right. And Stephen Crawford has killed himself at this point or close to it. They run the DNA so they send it to Parabon Nano Labs in Reston, Virginia. I don't mm-hmm. think we've mentioned that before. Well, we haven't in a while yeah. because we've talked about them quite often on this show. So as a reminder, they're in Reston, Reston Virginia. And Cece Moore is the one who's working on these two cases okay. as well. Yeah. And she is able to lead them to John Getru. Now, remember, she has to go through the DNA and build a family tree to come up with potential names. And then law enforcement has to look at those names and then uh, narrow it down to people who lived in the area, maybe people who had a rap sheet, stuff like that. And John Getru, as we mentioned before, is already a convicted murderer. Yep. And 
you know, was living in the area. So it worked at Stanford, actually. So he's looking like a pretty decent suspect for them to and go talk to. And it was sex to. crimes, too. So you, yes. you gave a good background. That's why you did that. So yes. our listeners, listeners would kind of now know. Because remember, they were expecting him or they were expecting the DNA to come back to Stephen Crawford. Stephen Crawford. So mm-hmm. they're like, uh oh, we have, oh, crap. We have another killer uh, on the right. loose. But wait a minute, we have a good suspect. Mm-hmm. So they have a good person. So it comes back to that person. So Yeah. Not to right. mention, though, that the murder of Arliss Perry and the murders of Leslie and Janet were also very different. Mm-hmm. So they they were expecting it. That's fair, too. But yes. they were like, yes, that's what are the point. odds? Because if you remember in Arliss Perry, there was some sort of signature with the candlestick and things like that. It seemed like it was a... Uh, What's the word? Demonic, Demonic or satanic, like a satanic yeah. type thing. That one was still also sexually motivated, though, too. Mm-hmm. So that, I think that's why they were. And this one's particularly brutal. I'll talk about that in a little bit. It's particularly brutal. This one, uh, Leslie. Yes. Well, both of them. Both are. of them. Yes. So okay. So now, what do they have to do? The police have to go. They have to collect DNA from this guy. They have to go try to get his DNA somehow legally. <laughs> and they do. They are able to pick up a discarded coffee cup. I love it. I love it. How yeah. many of these? Our listeners are going to be like, come on, you guys are just making that up. No, this is what. This is how easy it is to get your DNA. Yeah. Legally. Yes. <laughs> legally. And this is why we're going to probably talk about the law soon as as you've already mentioned that Maryland and Montana Mm -hmm. each have developed a law to sort of put some constraints on this in the use of law enforcement. But I'm going to continue to argue with it because, you know, you, you, you get rid of your DNA everywhere you go and you really have no choice unless you wrap yourself in cellophane and don't breathe. It's pretty hard not to leave or throw DNA around somewhere. Yes, I okay. agree. I agree. All right, so they got a suspect, and they go. How'd they get the coffee cup? Walk me through that. It didn't. They weren't specific. I think they were just they, following him. Right. They so they were surveilling him. So for every for our listen is what they probably do is they start looking into his background, like you said, and they say, "Oh, this is, might be our guy. He lived in the area at the time. He's already and convicted he's murderer. A sex crime guy, convicted a murderer. Yeah. Look, I mean, where bad stuff's going on, more bad stuff's going on. So let's figure out. Well, he has no DNA in the system, so let's figure out how do we go get his DNA. Well, let's surveil him. And they do surveillance. They probably develop some sort of pattern of life, and they realize maybe he goes to this one place where they they identified. Maybe maybe it was routine. Maybe it wasn't. You know, that's what we don't know because that's the investigation. They sort of keep that those details close hold. They either determined he routinely went to a place for coffee or it was a opportunity and they were surveilling him and they had pretty good surveillance on him and he drank the coffee and discarded the cup. And as you've mentioned before, they have to make sure that they are right on it. Yeah, yeah. So they can prove mm-hmm. that. I'm sure you think they were wearing body cams because you know a lot of... Yeah, they all do now, yeah. Even this, the detectives yeah. that are doing surveillance because that, there there you go, there's footage right there. It's of them possible, it yeah, it's possible. I feel yeah. like that would be smart. Uh, so in November of 2018, he is actually arrested and charged with this murder. Now, this is going to get a little sticky and confusing mm-hmm. when I start to talk about Janet. And you guys are going to be kind of confused because I was a little confused when I was reading this. Mm-hmm. So he is charged and arrested in November of 2018. Now, currently 2021, he has not gone to trial 
for this. He did enter a plea of not guilty, but I've, I saw a couple different things. One thing said that he had a brain aneurysm, but I don't think that that's credible. Mm-hmm. I don't think, I don't know yeah, how real no. it is, but the main reason that I saw for the delay is just a backlog of, there's just so many cases. And I mean, 2018 was a, in, especially in California, we've got a lot of, a lot of serial killers being right. found out in and 2018. And don't forget, if it takes a couple of years anyways, now you're into COVID, right? Yes. So yeah, we got yes. COVID extended that, you know. So what yes. What would have been maybe two years is now into four years. Yes. Which, again, remember I brought up a fair and speedy trial and what, you know, goes into that. So that's that's a whole other question, too, I think. Nonetheless, he is arrested and charged in November of 2018. That is kind of where we're at for Leslie's case, right? So we have a DNA match. We have someone that we've arrested and charged. We just don't have the trial yet and the conclusion of the trial. Now, I mentioned Janet and Taylor. Also, I want to clarify, too. Leslie, where is it? Santa Clara. Yes. So Leslie Perlov's case was being handled by the Santa Clara Sheriff's Department, which was also the same in Arliss Perry's case. Janet Taylor, her case is being handled by San Mateo Sheriff's Office. So in this case, they're actually kind of working together, which is really interesting. So Janet Taylor in 1974 is also 21 years old. So this is literally just a year later after Leslie's murder. Her father was actually the football coach at Stanford University, and he was the athlete director. Uh, his name athletic was Chuck director. Taylor. Athletic yeah. director. Oh, yeah. athletic. athletic director. Yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. It means I didn't he's in charge of all spo- all sports. It's a pretty prestigious yes. position. Yes, his name was Chuck Taylor. So she did not attend Stanford, but her father did work there. So she was in and around the campus uh, a lot. She actually went to, I, I'm going to pronounce it wrong. It, I, I spe- it's spelled like Canada College, but it had like one of those little things over the N. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure how to pronounce it. My apologies. She was living in La Honda with her boyfriend. Also, I watched a 2020 episode that literally just aired like this week on all three of these mm-hmm. cases. And her boyfriend was interviewed. Oh my gosh. Today. He was crying, talking oh, about yeah. her and how much he loved yeah. her. It made me cry. Yeah. He and he was like blaming himself. It was so sad. So she worked in an office off of the same road, actually, where Leslie's car was found. We've got a lot of connections here, too. Mm-hmm. So it's going to get a little confusing. March 24th, 1974. Well, not, not com- confusion if we're talking about the same bad guy. It all will make sense in the end. Yeah, it'll so. make sense. Yeah, but yeah, like yeah. as I'm explaining yeah, yeah, it, it might yeah. be confusing. Yeah. It was a little confusing for me at first the way yeah. I had to type it out certain in a certain way. So March 24th, she is dropped off at Stanford um, by her boyfriend, I believe. And she had dinner with some friends. And she left her friends around 7 p.m. She was planning on hitchhiking back home. Mm-hmm. Now, they, they did offer her a ride, but she was like, no, I'm just going to hitchhike. It's about 15 miles back home to La Honda from Stanford University. And the next morning, her body was actually found in a ditch on Sand Hill Road and Manzanita Way on the same property, Stanford University. Mm -hmm. She also had a purse that was not found, too. So, again, possible robbery. Yeah, well, that's what the police are thinking. Oh, it looks like a robbery, maybe. 
Yes. Now, well, once they find out that she had a purse, they didn't know that probably immediately. Yeah. Um, and her, I mean, her body was found basically in the same area as Leslie's too. It was all within the same. What was small this area? Is, okay, this is a year later or six months later. Uh, so twenty four March seventy four. So. Yeah, we got February of 2073 to March of 74, so just about a year. A year, okay. Yeah, just about a year. Yeah, okay. She had been strangled and beaten in the face. Mm -hmm. She had been strangled with her sweater, is what it said. It appeared like law enforcement were not able to conclusively say if she had been raped or not, Uh but they were able to eventually recover DNA from the inside and outside of her pants. It was like there was like a tear in the crotch of her pants. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so the assumption there that the law enforcement agents talk about in the episode I was watching, mm-hmm. the assumption was that he was trying to, but she was fighting back. I mean, her yeah, boyfriend says another one fighting back. That's awesome. Yeah. Her boyfriend said that she had a brown belt in karate and she w- it was apparent that she was fighting back mm-hmm. and he just got mad and killed her. And that's that's so what the this, assumption is. This makes sense because it makes sense that she struggled because what they said. So he strangled her so much that it, and through her sweater that it left impressions of the turtleneck sweater on her neck mm-hmm. that's how how much he strangled her what what the i guess i don't know if it was at the autopsy or, or somewhere she was beaten so bad mm-hmm. that the shirt underneath the sweater was torn right yeah so so he beat her so bad that the pressure went all the way through and it, the sleeve ripped. I don't know if that's explaining it enough. It's the sleeve ripped underneath her sweater. Yeah. I that's how bad that, she yeah. was. She was beaten. So it sounds like she put up a heck of a fight. Yes. And he's, and he was thinking at this point, I'm all in. I gotta, I gotta kill her. I gotta go until I kill her. Her boyfriend actually was the one who had to identify her also, which I can't even imagine. Oh, I wrote down do sperm fragments. So is that what you're talking about? Yeah, like so. What I found really sure no sex assault, but sperm fragments. Yeah, it said that they weren't a hundred percent. It it did end up being that, but originally they couldn't they couldn't tell if it was saliva or touch DNA. But they mm, did say okay. that it ended up being sperm fragments. Right. Yes. So this is the DNA. They are able to uh, test this now after Leslie Leslie's case is connected to John Getru. San Mateo Sheriff's Office is like, hold up. Uh-oh, this uh-oh. is, yeah, this is the same. They're, they're kind of working together and they go to the Santa Clara, what is it? Santa Clara, Santa Clara's Sheriff's Office and they're talking back and forth and they're like, this, I feel like maybe this could be connected. Especially again, like I said, his rap sheet. So this is when they go and they examine that DNA. They're able to re examine that area and they find mm-hmm. DNA and that's what oh, they yeah, test okay. it. Uh, against that same coffee cup from John Getru, and and it does come back match. as an arrest. Plus, they got or as a so match. They got sort of a profile, like they're both young, white, female, dark hair, twenty-one years old, twenty-one years old. They're both strangled, beaten in the face. So now, so they're matching. Mm-hmm. They're starting to match things up, uh, you know. And they're like, "Hey, I think, I I think we got something here." This was always a problem historically. When you read, like a lot of us don't live this. Right, because you do a career and then you get out. But when you read the history on on serial killers and 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 re, if you read the uh, Mindhunter series, the FBI uh, profiling, the, it talks about how police departments didn't 
they they missed a lot because they didn't collaborate on stuff. Right, you, right. You know what I mean? Yeah. They didn't mm-hmm. collaborate. And now it's more common to say, hey, you know what? Let's just reach out to the other departments and see if there's anything. And, and there's other indicators and, and databases and things that mm-hmm. they cross-feed. So at this point, they're like, hey, let's let's check. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the two counties are not very far away from each right. other either. This right. is very close mm-hmm. to each other. Um, so he is connected to her murder in September 15th. So he's already arrested, right? He's already in jail. Mm-hmm. So September 15th. Oh, right. Because he's waiting right. in trial for, um. Leslie. Leslie, yeah. Leslie Perlov. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in December of 2020, it's unsure. I was unsure of when they charged him for Janet's murder. But in December of 2020, he enters a not guilty plea. And mm-hmm. then September 15th, 2021, so what, literally last week, Yeah, he is convicted for Janet's murder after a two-week-long trial. During this trial, so that's what I was saying, like how it was kind of confusing. Yeah. He's still charged in her waiting trial for Leslie's murder. By the way, it is because of that that Janet's murder has been solved. Mm-hmm. So he's being charged. He's on trial for the second murder. Thanks to the first charge the first that charge, he's still right. awaiting. Yeah. yeah, I thought that was that was kind of cool. Well, oh yeah, because now they have they had the DNA, right? Right. Yes, and yep. Leslie's sister was at this trial. Like she she shows mm-hmm. up and yeah, his stepdaughter. So while he was married, well, sorry, while he was committing these crimes, he was actually married and had a stepdaughter. Uh, this has been like well, this has happened more than once in one of our episodes. He was it's, also abusing his stepdaughter. Oh my gosh. It was yeah, awful to hear her talk about it in the sh- in the show. Mm. And her mom had no idea because again, he he was threatening her. He was threatening his her mom. He was mm. like, "I'm going to kill your mom if you tell her." Yeah, that's what they do normally. Yep. So, she testifies in that trial and she testifies to where they lived and she is like yeah we lived super close to where janet's body was found uh we used to drive that road every single day he would drive that road every single day to get mm-hmm. like to and from work and everything um and this is in south palo alto california so at the time of this trial he is 75 years old at the time of the murders he would have been 30 mm-hmm. so um his son so also what is crazy so after these murders um, a couple years after his wife that he that wife with the stepdaughter they get divorced because she ends up she ends up finding out that he was abusing her. Yeah. Okay. So he gets remarried, and mm-hmm. they were married for twenty five years, I think they said, until she died, and they had two kids together. He had a son. He raised his son to treat women kindly, and he told his son that no means no. And really? He, yes, his son was on the was on the 2020 episode, and let me tell you, his son is like it wants nothing to do with him. He was like, absolutely, that's terrible that he did those things. I can't believe it. I, I can't he, believe he didn't say this can't be my dad. He raised me this way. He did it first. He did it first. Yeah. But when he found out about the Germany murder, mm-hmm. he contacted his aunt and uncle, and they said, yeah, it was a family secret. We didn't tell anyone, and he was appalled. <laughs> His wow. wife, too, was talking about it. She was like, I, I was, he used to change my daughter. Like, I, when she was a baby, mm-hmm. I was so comfortable with him. They talked about it. His son is 100% on, like, law enforcement. He literally said DNA doesn't lie, so I don't know why he's trying to lie. Mm. But he, he, go, he was explaining how John Getru raised him to respect women and no means no and all of these things. Like, wow. Did he make any crazy. comments, the um, he's, bad guy? He's pleading not guilty. He's yeah. saying he's not guilty. He hasn't. I haven't seen any comment other than that. He is his. Well, he's convicted of one. So right. What did he? What did he get in that case? How many years? 
Oh, that just happened. So they haven't yeah, sent. Yeah, they haven't sent. Yeah, they haven't sent in some yet. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah, it's gonna be a long. Us. It's gonna be life probably a long time. So. Well, yeah, and they still have the other trial too. Yeah. So yeah, it was crazy. All right. So talk about again. You said the the DNA they collected on on the first girl, Leslie. Yeah. So that I mean, you kind of already breezed over that, I guess. That, so yeah, we because about that. because she she fought back, she fought and back, it was under and, her, and is, under so she, all ten fingers, all ten fingers. So they were able to say that that DNA b- belonged to him, mm-hmm. and so she. I mean, it's a sad story. However, she she helped the police investigate it. She helped solve, yeah, Janet's murder, and then and then the, uh, Janet w- was just a fighter. Were these the last two that he killed? That we know of. Yeah. There is some speculation that there could be more. Um, and like I said, like I said at the beginning, what was her name? Hold on. Sharon Lucis. She was 19 years old in 1969. Yeah. He's suspected oh. in that one. So I'm assuming they're probably going through that process okay. right now. Uh, but yeah, there is some speculation. I feel like he met his match with these two. Mm-hmm. And that's why he had to kill him. He had to beat him so bad. And then he says, I, uh, I can't do this. Let me raise my son properly. Dumbass. Hopefully. Um, I mean, you know, he was still abusing his stepdaughter I'm not, yeah, I'm not for many right. years that's a good point. after. Oh, that's a good point. For so a few that, years he after was, this. He was, that, that's where he was. Um, it was around the same time and then still a few years after. So he was getting his need taken care of that way or whatever it was, the sick bastard. And so he wasn't out looking for, you know, 21-year-old. That we know of. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But, yeah, of course, there's speculation right, so that... so DNA collected in the 70s. Who was it? His son actually speculated that when all of this uh, was happening that... No, 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 not his son. I'm sorry, not his son. So the first woman I talked about that he murdered in Germany, Margaret Williams, her brother actually at one point does come forward to the police and they're like, hey, he's like, hey, you should just know about this John Getrew person because he is a convicted murderer. He killed my sister and raped her and he was set free, whatever. He actually thought that John Getrew was um, the Golden State Killer, which as we know now is not the case. But at the time, whose sister was that? A brother, brother, Margaret brother? Williams. Margaret Williams. That's okay. the, the the girl he murdered in Germany. Ah, so gotcha, before gotcha. 2018, a couple years before, this guy, the brother, sick. comes forward and is like, he might be the Golden State Killer. I, I don't understand why nobody was on him. Like this guy was sick, you know, preying on these women, killing these women, raping them. Why weren't the police on him prior to this? That's what I don't understand. They didn't know about his history, I guess. This is, think about it, this is 73. Mm. How far, like, how easy is it in 73 for them to find out that he has a murder charge in Germany? Because remember, he was tried in Germany. Right. In a German court right. as a juvenile. He was right. also tried as a juvenile. Okay. And he's also a military dependent at that point. So when he came back to the States, it's like it was um, kind of expunged. Never happened. Yeah. It was like like juvenile records mm-hmm. locked up or something like that. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. And from my understanding, mm, when we were no. overseas, yeah. it kind of did seem that like, so KDAP was the, the program that they had mm. for the dependents oh, if I we were to that. get in trouble. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, like similar, I think, to an NJP maybe, or it was mm-hmm. it was similar. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of seemed like if we well, did no. get barred from Ireland or sent back, it was a juvenile thing that wouldn't yeah. really be on our record. Yeah. That's interesting. That's yeah. a that's a gap in the system there. So that was the only thing. And this is seventy three. Yeah. So that was or the I'm only s- thing. No, I'm sorry. That was in sixty nine. I'm sorry. Yeah. That was in sixty nine. 
And then he started killing, though. So you're right. He didn't Years have. Later. So when we described that at the beginning of the show, this episode, it people are like, oh, he's the guy. Like now, I would know why. Yeah, but, I wanted to but, give that background. But the past couple of years, I, I don't understand why he wasn't on the radar. Wasn't he? Well, it it all happened at once with yeah, Arliss Perry. It yeah. was all within months of each other oh, that the yeah. DNA was tested. So, and again, Arliss Perry was murdered, and that was the first one in Stanford. Yeah. When it came back to Stephen Crawford, they were honestly thinking it was going to be Stephen Crawford. Okay. So that's oh, what that's they right, were expecting. Right. Yeah, yeah. This is weird, but the way we explain that would make you think that the police would have been on to him. Wow. He was but under once, the radar. This. Once they tested that DNA for yeah. uh, from Leslie, then that was kind of mm-hmm. the assumption that they were working on. John Getru has probably murdered yeah. before, so okay. let's check others. Right, and that's where it. that's what I'm saying. That's why San Mateo was like, "Hold up, let's check too." And then they were able to extract his conviction in Germany because witnesses came forward, right? Yeah, and it d- it did end up coming out. It okay. didn't, they didn't say specifically, but like the brother had already come out. Yeah, okay, but you're right. I get okay. I get what you're saying. The brother had already come forward. Yeah, it was. I don't. I don't know what county he went to. Though is the thing. Mm-hmm. It, he just said that he went to the police and the FBI. He went to the FBI and said, "I think the Golden State Killer could be John Getru." So think of it. Mm-hmm. When this is all happening, they're like, "Yeah, whatever. Okay, they maybe they look into it." And then in 2018. Yeah. The Golden State Killer is found. So they're yeah, not. I, he's like, oh, this is probably just a brother that's pissed. Man, these poor girls. And uh, OK, but but yeah. they got him. They convicted him. And he's he's pending. Um, pending sentencing and, and pending, pending a, a trial. trial yeah. So we All will right. be able to have an update for you guys. So, again, th- this was really cool. Police collected evidence properly and, and preserved, uh, it, preserved properly. it properly in 1974. Right. How many cases have we done where, you know, 60, 70 even the fifties, I think, was one, mm-hmm. and then something happened. The evidence, like, disappeared or got contaminated or something like that. Well, without even knowing it, you led perfectly into the next thing that I'm going to say because now I'm going to talk about Arliss Perry and the new things I learned. Okay, uh, before that, uh, if you're interested in the Arliss Perry episode, it's it was aired 21st of May. It was episode 18, and the title was "Satanic Cult or Diversion." Yes. True Crime Archives, Satanic Cult or Diversion, 24th of May. It's about 45 minutes long, so go ahead and and go ahead and start there if you want. Start right there and then jump back into this episode. Yeah, because that would be, again, I didn't choose this. I had yeah. no idea this was going to bring up. I was honestly surprised. Mm-hmm. I was like, what? Yeah. I mean, it makes sense, though, Stanford University. Yeah, I didn't yeah. even look at the dates. So Kind of like the Route 29 stalker is going to keep coming back. Yeah. I am traumatized. Can I just tell you guys I'm traumatized? I had to, when I was doing uh, DoorDash, because I do DoorDash and I was doing it out here, I was on Route 29 one night. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is, I'm done. (laughs) I'm going home. (laughs) I ended up pulling onto it. Anyway, I'm traumatized. Yeah. So, preservation of evidence and go for it. So, yes. So, like I said, I was watching the 2020 episode that Mm -hmm. literally just aired a few days ago. Mm -hmm. (laughs) A little can't talk like last week. And they were talking about the evidence. Now, if you remember, I don't think we really had much details into where mm-hmm. they got the DNA from. Yeah. 
and why they didn't have it. Remember, they were testing the fingerprints from. Yeah, I remember the, the fingerprints. Candles, yep. Right. So what they were talking about in the episode is that they had originally tested a pair of pants that mm-hmm. they had from her, mm-hmm. from Arliss, that didn't come back with any DNA. Right. Well, in 2018, when they're going back to do this retesting, the detective is looking at the pair of pants, the pair of jeans that they have for her. It's a 3236. Mo- we don't. Most women don't wear. Yeah, 32 those. is pretty big. Or right. Th- well, 36 too. Right. Well, and just also the sizing. We don't yeah. typically. We wear like one oh, number. We don't one. typically have the length oh, and the width length on our width. pants. Right. Right. Some brands do, but mm-hmm. it's not typical for women's jeans. Okay. Um, and so the detective is like, that's a little, that's a little off. That's not right. Turns out the evidence was mislabeled and they had Bruce Perry's jeans because remember he is her husband. So obviously they took all of his clothes and evidence collecting Mm -hmm. too. Yeah. And they had his jeans labeled as Arliss Perry. Oh, they totally messed up there. Yes. So he was like, let's fix this. And that's where they find the DNA on her jeans that were never tested because they were Bruce's. Uh, Which, like, why were they never tested? They they still should have been testing his jeans, right? Yeah. Just to double they, check they, that he really wasn't the murderer. Yeah, to rule him out. Yeah. And But that just goes to show details. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Details, you know. Yeah. It's all in the details. So potentially, I mean, again, genetic genealogy but wasn't a big thing until But they got to her pants initial, uh, eventually, right? Yeah, yeah. They all The right. minute he realizes that, he's like, let's test her jeans. And that's yeah. where, that was one of the, the interesting but in Thanks. this case, they preserved the evidence really well. You you were talking, you were saying, in Arliss's. No, in in the, the current case we're doing. Oh yeah, like the thing, the fingernails. They yeah. specifically said over and over again that really the only reason mm-hmm. they were able to have DNA is because they preserved it so well. That's good from under her fingernails. The way they took it, the way they mm-hmm. clipped it, and the way they preserved it. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, there's just a lot of like extra stuff. Uh, her friend, their friends. So Arliss Perry and Bruce Perry's friends from high school were interviewed in this episode that we were watching, yeah. that I was watching. Uh, oh my gosh, it was so sad and hard to watch. They, her friend, was reading like her letters mm-hmm. from her. They were talking about them, describing them, how they met, and they. It was kind of a shock that they started dating, and but to get married young was super common. Remember, this is in Bismarck, yeah. North Dakota. This is a small, mm-hmm. small town, very religious town. So it was just all super common. Did they know these two? Janet yeah. and... Uh, oh, no. Janet and Leslie? Leslie, yeah. No, no. They didn't no. know them. No. That was... that was. I mean, that was that was basically it. Okay. I did get to uh, hear more... Um, not more of... I got to hear the 911 calls. So if you remember... Again, go back and listen to the episode. Yeah. We talked about how... So Stephen Crawford was the security guard at the the, the school and he was specifically covering the church that night where Arliss Perry was ultimately found well when Bruce Perry reported her missing 911 the the dispatch called Stephen Crawford remember they called him yeah and they said hey have you seen her have you whatever I got they they played the whole clip we we got more of it now yeah you get to actually hear it well now we know why because it's a little insensitive oh my god yeah yeah, uh, the the audacity of men in the seventies <laughs> is. <laughs> I was I had to pause it, and m- mom was up watching with me, and I was like, "You have to hear, you have to hear what he just said." What, so what they say? So. He so he's asking Stephen Crawford if he he's describing Arliss Perry and asking him if he's seen her, and Stephen Crawford's like, "So no. remember, this is the security guard, so they yes. they can do this. It's they don't the have dispatch to yeah, him. Yeah, dispatch yeah. to him. He's the security guard, so they 
They're in a trust relationship. But he also was a police officer. He was a police right. officer security but guard. But what I'm saying remember. is they don't know they're talking to a bad guy, right, nor, right, nor right. should they think that. He's the right. security officer. Right. So the a dispatch officer is like, okay, well, if you see her, let her know that her husband's sorry for arguing and to get her ass home. <laughs> I was like, it was the way you guys have to listen to it, the way yeah. he said it. I was like, mm, I don't like you. Yeah. Yeah. And then also what we didn't know was that when she is reported, when he, when he finds her, he finds uh-huh. her body, right? In quotation mm-hmm. marks, Stephen Crawford finds her. He calls it in. I think we did have the the note that he referred to her as a stiff. Mm-hmm. He said, we've got a stiff in here. Yeah. And he referred to it as DOA. Yeah. Right. Dead body. Um, well, dead on arrival. Right. DOA. Mm-hmm. Yep. But he doesn't say dead body. He just says stiff, uh, which the detective talking about it was like, I've never heard anyone refer to it. No, no Not person. In law yeah. yeah. No person in law enforcement. Um, he actually goes missing for two hours. I don't think we had that in that episode when we talked about it. He went missing for two hours while the police and the uh, detectives were inside the church. Mm-hmm. He was just gone for two hours. They couldn't find him. They were trying to get a hold of him. They called back to dispatch to see if he was there. They ended up calling his wife, which we also got to hear that in the show. Mm-hmm. And she's like, what's wrong? What's going on? He's like, well, we need your husband. <laughs> Can you please tell him to come find us? Two hours. And the detectives believe that he was getting rid of evidence. He was cleaning himself off. Yeah, that's that makes sense. Yep. Which, of course, they didn't get to um, talk about that, I don't think, right? What? He killed himself, right? Right. So yeah. then that the next thing that they also add, uh, so when you and I were originally doing our research, we got to see a small clip of that body mm-hmm. cam footage of them going to serve the search warrant because, again, uh, they Oh, that's ended right, up, and we could hear the, the gunshot. Right, but it was only like a five, six-second clip that we got to yeah. see. Well, in the show, they put the entire clip, oh. and they put the interview clip, too. So he was interviewed in 2016. Again, you guys have to go listen to the episode. Yeah, go watch Satan or go listen to Satanic Cult or Diversion. Yeah. So and, and you, then now that you have the update, go go watch it. Yes, because it is it's more in depth there. Yeah. But they they show the entire clip of them trying to serve the search warrant, mm-hmm. and yeah, it's just crazy. Cool. So I also recommend that 2020 episode. It's an hour and 15 minutes long on Hulu, but it was it was it was really good. I enjoyed it. So yeah, I think that's it. Is that it? You yeah. Like so we're something. still waiting uh, trial and sentencing for this guy. We can do an update yep. on Instagram or something when that yeah. happens. And Twitter. Yep. So if you guys want to go follow us on Instagram and Twitter for any and all updates, it's our Instagram is True Crime Archives Podcast and Twitter is TC Archives Pod. And then you can also give us a rate and review on Apple, iTunes. What is it? Podcasts. That oh iTunes. I can't speak. I can't remember the what it's called. <laughs> Apple Podcasts, geez, and anchor.fm. And we will talk to you guys next week. Later. Later.